Hello everyone, I'm Mark Saxford and I want to welcome you all to my new podcast called People Behind Brands, brought to you by Making Websites Better. Throughout the series, I'll be opening up my little black book of contacts where I'll be joined by an inspirational guest from the world of business, getting to the bottom of what made them so successful. In each episode, I'll be touching upon the highs and the lows that every professional has faced along the way. To never miss an episode, subscribe to our exclusive content now and follow us on our social media platforms. People Behind Brands. Life lessons from the world of business. You join us for episode 17, where we're joined by Duncan O'Brien, the man behind a refreshing drink brand name, Dolson Soda, that has gone toe-to-toe with Coca-Cola and continued to grow. In this episode, Duncan opens up about how the death of a friend gave him a new outlook on life and how running away from his past problems only wore out the soles of his shoes from Birmingham to the Caribbean. This is a man who's flirted with many industries, including a stint on the Orient Express as a chef before taking on the drinks industry and finding his passion. So listen up, drink it in. Here's another gripping episode of People Behind Brands coming at you. Welcome to People Behind Brands, Duncan. How are you doing today? Uh, thanks very much. I'm doing very well, thank you. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's really good to have you on. Uh, so where, where can we find you today? It looks like you're in front of a uh, really good, well-organised uh, bookshelf there. Uh, not at all. I uh, recently moved to Leighton. Uh, okay. So this is my second week in a new, new digs in Leighton, and those have just been like stuffed on the bookshelf behind me. Um, I've been moving about all over the place, just getting back into London, really. Um, uh, kind of back here to rebuild the business after everything that we've all been through over the last 18 months. Yeah. So, yeah, good to be back, although it is sweltering right now. Yeah. Um, and I've had to tell a guy repairing a fence outside to please not use the drill for the next sort of 20 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So, uh, yeah, Duncan joins us today to talk about his life and starting up his company, Dolson Soda, founded in 2012. Dolsons are growing in popularity year on year with their unique brand of sparkling water blended with real squeezed fruit. No refined sugar, no artificial sweeteners, all natural. So Duncan comes from an interesting background where he worked on an Orient Express as a chef before making a name for himself in the drinks industry. So Duncan, first question, take us back to the beginning. I'm told Dolson's was set up in a East London nightclub almost 10 years ago. Tell us about how you came with, how you came up with Dolston's and the journey so far. So yeah, it was set up in a nightclub called Passing Clouds, which was founded by a lady called Eleanor Wilson. And it was a sort of um, quite alternative, uh, like live music night place where like Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, they had a 3am license. So big live music nights, always packed out. They made a really close connection with a university called SOAS, School of Oriental and African Studies, which was quite a sort of like left-leaning activist university. So it was like an activist club it held a lot of permaculture nights a lot of like community activities and the founder of the nightclub's cousin called Steve uh, and I had started making what we called Dalston Cola actually in pots and pans in the nightclub and serving it at club nights we'd go down to the road uh, there's a market called Ridley Road Market and Mama Seke sold cola nuts to us and we would literally grind up these cola nuts mix them with ginger cinnamon spices and then serve it with rum on the club nights uh, and people just kept telling us, like, oh, you should scale that up. And at that point, I'd been looking into what was going on in the tech. I mean, this is like, this was like 10 years ago before it really, I still had, we still had jobs. We were sort of a ragtag collection of chefs that would just hang out at this nightclub and do various, various projects you'd end up doing, like 
chefing for people over in West London or you do canapes for events or you do like experimental like I remember some friends doing some like liquid nitrogen ice cream gigs at festivals this was just one of the things that we did people kept saying I should scale up I'd been looking into what was going on with the like the tech explosion in the states and just was quite interested interested in business and they were saying oh you should scale that up and I was like well it's mechanically repeatable so it is scalable so why not and just sort of plowed into it I actually took out a 300 pound payday loan because I had no money at the time to buy a first pallet of 2000 empty bottles and then just started making it in the back of this restaurant down the road um and then it just sort of span up from there we, we built small factories like a workshop over in a place called Fish Island in Hackney Wick and over a few years we pumped out about half a million bottles by hand I'm quite good with machinery and just like bodging together um and cobbling together different mechanical systems so we made like a functioning small factory um, and did a lot of it in the early days by hand. But yeah, it all started in this nightclub, Passing Clouds in East London, which is sadly no longer around. Um, it got shut down over a kind of land dispute a few years ago. There was a big community outcry, but um, fantastic place. And I sort of always feel like the spirit of Passing Clouds, like I know this might sound cheesy, but genuinely the spirit of Passing Clouds kind of continues through the business that is now Dalston's. Within the industry, starting out and making a name for yourself is always tough. It doesn't come much harder than the drinks industry. So how would you say Dolsons have made a name for themselves amongst sort of kind of stiff competition? Right. So <clears throat> this might sound a bit weird and it's not the case, but I've always felt like um, Dolsons has always had a bit of a life of its own and you're sort of almost a, a bit of a caretaker for it, even though like re relatively hardworking caretaker, but it does always seem to have had this slight energy of its own I think it helped that we were so obviously um almost trying to take not take the piss out of Coca-Cola but just trying to this David and Goliath kind of thing so when we started it the London Olympics was London Olympics was on Coca-Cola was doing loads of heavy advertising so if you google Dalston Cola and El Mundo which is a massive Spanish uh, newspaper you'll come up with the first ever press story from our for, on us which was Dalston Cola versus Coca-Cola, two, two chefs, Duncan O'Brien and Steve Wilson started, la la la. Um, and that kind of David and Goliath are your two guys down the road trying to take on Coca-Cola. That kind of helped get us our early traction because people like that kind of thing. Whereas in actual fact, um, what's really kept the company going has just been like listening to customers and innovating and developing the product and really having a direct connection to our customers. So I think a lot of um, a lot of soft drinks companies don't make their drinks themselves and they don't deliver their drinks directly to their customers. And because they don't do that, they're not able to get that instant feedback from what customers are saying. And they're not able to make those tweaks and make those changes rapidly to their business. So I actually think, yeah, the, the whole David and Goliath thing is that might have helped to start with. But actually, the, um, the thing that's really done us in quite good stead is just constantly listening to our customers and constantly developing the product and innovating and just striving to make them better, always, always better, especially at a time where the soft drinks industry has gone through quite a lot of changes as a result of like the sugar tax coming in a few years ago, um, as a result of the general concern about health and lifestyle and well-being, um, uh, and this has caused a lot of changes. And, and there's always 
there are always trends in drinks, um, but I think we've always stuck to a real basic, uh, which is like make drinks that taste really nice, make drinks yeah. that taste great, uh, and just really concentrate on that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's a nice sort of segue into my uh, my next question, really. So you know, as you said earlier as well, with with the weather, you know, this summer we've been treated to some really fantastic sort of sunshine weather. Uh, you know, as many people look to have a sort of t- a staycation this year with limited travel going on, but hand in hand with that comes with a, a refreshing drink that keeps us going on these kind of hot days. So what would you say is Dol- Dolston's USP or why should Dolston's be the drink of choice? Absolutely. I'd, I'd, I'd pick out two. I'd say one is the combination of taste at a lower calorie level. So our drinks now come in, at they're all around about 40, 45 calories a can. Um, it's no refined sugar, but they taste great. So it's this kind of, I just, I hate say it, but I'm I like, you can just pick one up and drink it without hating yourself afterwards. Like I just don't drink what the kind of the full fat soft drinks anymore. Cause I'm just, I don't want that kind of glycemic overload, that sugar spike and crash. I just don't care for that anymore. Mm. I don't like stevia. I don't like aspartame, sucralose, the artificial sweeteners, or even the natural uh, sweeteners. So it's a very clean drinking. It's clean, refreshing, low calorie. That's number one. The second one, which is really important for me, uh, the second USP is like, we actively support British farming. We actively support sustainable British farming. We work with brilliant small farms all over the UK to get to buy our ingredients. I think we bought around 19 tonnes of rhubarb juice from a rhubarb farm in Hereford. That is a small field's worth of rhubarb. Um, and they're a wonderful farm that practice, um, and this might sound obscure, but they the way that they farm, they leave verges on the sides and running through their fields. These are basically small hedges that massively encourages biodiversity, small mammals, uh, insects, etc., um, are like basically given somewhere to live and thrive um, so it's these like small farms genuinely or generally operate in more sustainable ways and it's uh, brilliant to be able to work with those so yeah, when you buy a can of Dolsons, you are buying a nice refreshing natural drink and you're also supporting British farming and it's kind of as simple as that um, for me um, yeah yeah so I mean talk to us about some of the flavors like you know if there's people listening that don't particularly know the brand just yet you know talk to us about the kind of flavors that you can that we can sort of buy from dolston's that you can sort of enjoy you know especially if they're going on the website to try your sodas yep so we when we started out the company like i say a little while ago now in our sort of dolston's 1.0 we were doing cola lemonade ginger beer we discovered over time people aren't really interested in alternative cola it's just not it's just not that and it, well, it wasn't that big a hit. Um, so what we've focused on is, again, like classic British flavors like rhubarb, cherry, elderflower. And then we do have lemonade and ginger beer because those are just like, those are just total staples, really. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the cherry, the rhubarb, the elderflower, they all came about through finding one fantastic ingredient and then just going, right, let's just show that off. Let's just present that ingredient really well. So the elderflower extract that we work with is from a um, organic farm uh, called Blue Sky Botanics. Um, and it's just brilliant, hand harvested, um, beautiful elderflower, nice and floral. Um, similarly, the cherry, we just found like a brilliant cherry juice and just like, right, that was the drink that really 
kind of kickstarted our growth back in 2017. So in 2017, we sort of relaunched effectively or we rebranded. That's when we moved from that 1.0 like DIY factory into a slightly larger production model. And it was the Cherry Aid that we started making then. We now just call it Cherry, Dolson's Cherry. Um, but that was what really kind of kickstarted our growth. So our two best sellers, Rhubarb and Cherry, uh, closely followed by Elderflower. Well, the last 12 months have been somewhat of a challenge for many business owners. Dalston's has, uh, you know, had their most successful sales month. So it sounds as if you've managed to make the pandemic work for you. But how much of an impact did COVID have on the business and how have you managed to overcome those challenges? Yeah, I would like, <clears throat> don't, um, the pandemic has not been, not been great for us. It's been, it's not been great for a lot of people in our, our industry. So our company was built off, uh, our, our customer base has really been independent cafes, bars and restaurants around the UK. And these are guys that have been forced to close for like long periods over the last 18 months. So we lost about, we reckon somewhere between 55 and 65% of our business over, over 2020. Um, beginning of 2020, we had fantastic momentum, phones ring off the hook. The team was just really buzzing. We were having fantastic large customers come to us. January, February 2020, normally very, very quiet months were big months for us in terms of sales. And then you get to April and, and everything gets gets shut down. So we, we've kind of survived through the pandemic just because we were on such a great growth um, curve anyway. So we've kind of, we did about 10% growth last year rather than 100% growth, which means we missed out on realistically 1.7 to 2 million pounds worth of sales, which as a small business, just kind of breaking through those kind of barriers is is pretty gutting, but we are all just so thankful that we've got through it and that we're still here and that we are, it looks like that we can build out of this um, and, and keep on going and keep growing, but it's, it's not been easy. Uh, it's not been easy um, in terms of managing a team either. Um, I think obviously some companies have dealt with it best than most but we were a close-knit team that we used to working closely together and moving to remote working has not been um has not been fantastic i mean i had to build a <laughs> one of the more fun bits um when we were doing reformulation work last year <clears throat> because i didn't have my normal kind of setup i built like a lab in my living room um and then my counterpart uh, colleague like built a dummy a, a mirrored setup so that we could do development and tasting work together on zoom so we'd be like on zoom talking about what we were doing tasting together and that worked out pretty well actually when we got uh, got kind of into it but pandemic's not been easy uh, it's not over yet i'm feeling for a lot of our customers um particularly people in the on trade you know i met up with um actually one of our shareholders who is in a sort of uh, um uh, he's in a board level position for a um uh, a, a group of pubs uh, I won't I won't say which one um, but he just did say you know frankly I'm exhausted because they've just had they've gone through so much yeah uh, the, the big and the small have been through a lot and and it's not um, it's by no means over yet so I'm not I don't want to be Debbie Downer but um, yeah it's been tough and mm. uh, we are very lucky because we're such a small organization we've been able to trim and make quick decisions uh it's actually been a lot harder for a lot of other people um in food and drink um but i've been so impressed at how 
the food and drink industry and food industry has responded. Mm. So impressed at how the supermarkets have worked to keep food on the shelves and to keep the supply chain going. Don't even talk to me about supply chain. It's been a nightmare. Uh, as you probably know, there's an HGV driver shortage in the, com- in the country mm. at the moment. There's now a CO2 shortage emerging. Um, there, there really is. Uh, there's just been, it has been one thing after another, but a lot of people have kind of risen to the challenge. And I think that's one of the interesting things about this pandemic is how we're sort of re, re-evaluating how, like, how we value people's work and whose work we really value and what's important, which is, um, which is not a bad thing, I don't think. So. No, no, I completely agree. Uh, you know, but, but for you personally, how much of an impact did it have on you and your family over that time? Yeah, massive. But to be totally to be totally uh, open with you, I've lived very cheaply in London um, while I was setting the business up in the early days. I'd finally got to a point where it was doing all right, and I felt like I could make a change in my lifestyle. I moved into my I moved into a much more expensive flat um, in the centre of town, and I was there for twenty months before the pandemic hit. And then I was looking at the amount of rent I was paying and the fact that I was about to have to halve my salary. And also the fact that central London wasn't exactly looking like a party. And I decided to move back to Scotland, where I'm from, and be close to my parents, who I felt might struggle with the isolation um, during the pandemic. And it was the best decision for me. It, I um, paid a, ended up paying way less rent so I could kind of survive um, financially. And also being close to my parents we're obviously very careful about distancing but you know my dad's been an amateur carpenter all his life he made me a small single seat table uh, so he made me my little social distancing table and my mom made these little like felt leg covers for it um, and then I would go and we'd sit in the garden and we'd have our little distance lunches and I probably saw more of my mom and dad in the last 18 months than I may have done for the rest of my life mm. uh, if this hadn't happened so you know, I'm extraordinarily lucky and that was one of the, the nicer outcomes for me was being able to just having that, you know, having the option and having the ability to go back that, go back and kind of hunker down and see things through um, because central London, yeah, was not, uh, was not the central London that I'd sort of learned to love over the last sort of 15 years or so. I mean, it was pretty, pretty barren place. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at sort of images on the telly, you know, whether it be on the news or whatever, it did look very, it just looked like a ghost town really didn't it and it um, it's just completely different to what we kind of all know it is as a you know a bustling capital city but you know it's you, you, as you say it's 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 trying to sort of take the positives out of it and spending more time with the family uh is is kind of that blessing in disguise really and i think a lot of people sort of benefited from that and and you know can take solace from it so uh yeah completely agree with that but uh yeah as, as our listeners know by now the aim of this podcast is to delve deeper into some of the more testing times and setbacks that are that come on come along in life so talk talk us through some of the challenges you faced in your personal life that led you to where you are today Ooh, um, tricky question uh tricky question i suppose i was always a real pro at running away from my problems yeah, yeah? so the reason i ended up working on the orient express train is because after I graduated at university, I didn't really have a, I didn't pay any attention to what I wanted to do next. I was really enjoying my course. I was really enjoying London. And graduating, I was like, ah, got to find a job. Mm. And I ended up, this was 2006. This is pre-global financial crisis. La, 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 happy days, lots of money around. Um, and I got, 
a job in business intelligence for a company called Business Monitor International in center of uh, London. I did not last trying to sell emerging markets intelligence to hedge fund managers. They didn't want to listen to a 21-year-old graduate. Um, ended up in another much nicer city job, but it just really wasn't for me. And after um, it was after a particularly bad breakup and a particularly weird uh, night out, I actually ended up just moving back to Scotland. And I was looking at jobs. I, was, I moved back to Scotland and I ended up back at my parents' place. And I was there for about a week before I was saying like, what have I done? What am I doing? Um, and I was looking at two jobs. One was finance, this is way too much information. One was financial writer and the other one was a uh, steward on uh, this Orient Express chain. And I just thought, you know what? I fancy that one. Started as a steward, became the barman and then got kind of sucked into the kitchen. And that was the start of my career in food really. But um, after that, I variously moved down to Birmingham. Then I ran away from Birmingham to the Caribbean, lived in the Caribbean for a year. It's quite a change, though, isn't it? From uh, the, I mean, the, the, the it like my, my 20s was basically a series of like screwing up and then like running away to try and make things better somehow. And that never really worked. You do have some adventures for sure, but um, I think it's only, it was. I remember, yeah, sitting on, literally sitting on a rock in the Caribbean and having a bit of a think at one point and thinking like, okay, need to go, need to go back and start building. Um, and that was um, a few years before I started Dalston's. But in terms of personal challenges, I mean, all right, here's a random one. When I was 18, I wanted to be a journalist and I ended up, won't go into reasons how, but I ended up um, working on a newspaper called the Phnom Penh Post in Cambodia uh, for about three months. You can still find the stories online, actually, weirdly enough. Um, and it was over there that I got an email from a friend of mine uh, to tell me that a very close friend of mine had died of cancer. Um, it was the second time that he got it. Um, and um, that kind of cut me up quite badly. You're, 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 around the other, you're around the other side of the world. This is like kind of pre-mobile phone kind of thing. Mm. Um, you're away from your support network, your family, and this kind of this, you've got this news and you don't have the closure of being able to go to the funeral. And that sort of affected me, I think, and kind of drove me on actually. Um, mm. And because this guy, he got he got cancer when he was 15, uh, 14, 15. And it was very close to him then. He beat it. Then he got it again a few years later and he died from it. And those intervening years, he became this like powerhouse. He was just like working so hard, um, just really like grasping life. Um, and that always uh, kind of stayed with me and has always kind of driven me to not um, not accept, uh, I don't know how to put it, not, not to sort of tolerate things which are not right and not to sort of allow myself to, um, to kind of fall into sloth and, um, yeah. So, so that's one, I would say formative experience from my personal life. Um, but like, but yeah, my twenties was, uh, um, <laughs> my twenties was basically a series of adventures, uh, around the world, um, working in, in unusual situations and meeting a lot of fantastic people. Um, and I would just say, yeah, I, I suppose what makes you is the people that you meet along the way and the influences you have. And I've been extremely fortunate to have met a lot of outstanding people. 
Um, and a lot of through building Dawson's as well. You know, that's probably one of the best things about building this sort of business is the, the supporters you meet along the way and the people you work with and people that back you actually. Yeah, yeah. Sort of sounds like you've had more adventures than Judith Chalmers at the moment, but um, <laughs> yeah. What would be one life lesson you could give to your younger self or someone listening that can learn from your experience? Oh, mm. I think the thing I always say to uh, young people who are wondering uh, what to get involved in, what to do with themselves, um, probably the best advice I can give is pick a growing industry or market. Pick something that is growing gangbusters and maybe dig dig deep into it to make sure it isn't like a sort of an artificial bubble or just hype. Just do some reasonably deep long-term analysis and pick an industry or market that is just growing powerfully and uh, in, in, a, in what looks like a great long-term way because that growth will carry you along with it. If you pick up a skill set inside it, situate yourself within the right organizations, you will probably set yourself up for a promising career. So yeah, if you're wondering what to do, have a look at industries that are growing that interest you. Right, there you go. Some advice for you lot then. So, uh, Duncan, listen, it's been a pleasure to meet you and get to know you. Thanks for, for coming on and sharing your life lessons with us on the podcast. But before we wrap up, perhaps you might like to tell our listeners where they can find Dalston's and how they can try your sodas. Absolutely. And uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Um, you can buy our drinks online from uh, the likes of Ocado, Amazon. Um, please pop into the larger Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Asda, um, you can buy them through our website, which is dolstons.com. Um, you also can go to some of our fantastic independents. I'd like to give a bit of a shout out to um, Darren Rimbler and the crew at Martello Hall. They've just opened a new venue called Alora Hall in Crouch End. Uh, they've got a series of about five sort of uh, clubby bar restaurants and uh, they're just doing great at the minute. But um, yeah, uh, please buy it. If you see it, please buy it online. You can get our variety packs through Amazon and our website. So that's a great way to try out the range and then if you like it and want to buy long term i'd say pop into your, your local supermarkets sainsbury's waitrose asda right yeah i'm certainly going to pick up a couple of bottles give it a try so uh, yeah people behind brands is available on all good audio platforms keep up to date with our new and existing episodes for our social platforms at podcast pbb so get in touch with our thoughts questions or guest recommendations please email email me directly mark.t at makingwebsitesbetter.com it's time to crack open a Dalston's and enjoy your summer. So see you next time for more life lessons from the world of business. So that's it for this episode of People Behind Brands. I'd love to hear from you all. So if you want to get in touch, follow us on our social media platforms. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to our exclusive content now. Join us next time for a brand new guest on the podcast as we explore yet more life lessons from the world of business. We'll see you soon. Ta-da.